0: Opens today, City on Fire, Chicago, 1871 at the Chicago History Museum. Features more than 100 pieces from the museum's collection. Interactive elements, personal stories from the O'Leary family as well. They're still steamed about it.
1: Yet even before the ground had cooled, a local newspaper accused O'Leary of an unimaginable crime. That she started the fire that destroyed her city.
0: Well, that's... That's the legend, isn't it? I can tell you this. Over the 22 days leading up to October 8, 1871, 150 years ago today, it had rained only once in Chicago, the whole city, virtually a tinderbox. During the first week of October, the Chicago, Chicago Fire Department fought more than two dozen fires. That wore out the uh, the fire department. And then on Sunday, October 8, basically everything went wrong. Let's welcome to the program Julius L. Jones. He's the lead curator of City on Fire, Chicago 1871, opening today at the Chicago History Museum. Mr. Jones, welcome. How are you, sir?
1: I'm well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, just online, this looks like a terrific uh, exhibit. How long is it going to be open? Well, it's
1: going to be open for uh, quite a while, so we're excited about that. Um, so you definitely have time, but we suggest that you get there as soon as possible.
0: Well, was it Mrs. O'Leary's fault, yes or no, in your opinion?
1: Oh, absolutely not, and so one of the myths we wanted to disprove was this myth about Mrs. O'Leary and her cow. The fact of the matter is is that Mrs. O'Leary was in bed um, when the fire happened, and additionally, we know that the the story is just simply unlikely, and in large way, as the clip you played alluded to, is really a much deeper story about uh, blaming people like Mrs. O'Leary, immigrants, um, non English speaking Catholics, uh, for the city's problems.
0: How did you wind up uh, in the grinder for this? Was it the media? Well, in a lot of ways,
1: uh, yeah, you know, uh, a newspaper a columnist who later admitted, uh, that he, he had kind of made up this story because it was, uh, you know, interesting and grabbing headlines, uh, you know, uh, really sort of propagated, uh, the myth. I mean, the ball, the fire did start in and around her barn, and additionally, her home actually survived the fire, so many people thought it was a bit, you know, too clever that, um, you know, her home survived, but so many were destroyed.
0: This is a delicate question. I know people died, many, I think 300 or so. Nothing compared to the Pestigo fire up in Wisconsin. But um, when you look back 150 years, because we got a fresh start after 1871 with new building codes and we could lay out not only wider streets, but... Alleys to uh, facilitate the removal of garbage and the grid system here in Chicago was this a net gain historically for the city of Chicago? The fire?
1: Oh, absolutely! I think many people saw this event as an important one that allowed Chicago to grow. There was a nickname uh, that we used to use for Chicago, and not so much anymore, called the Phoenix City. And, you know, like a mythical bird, Chicago had burned, but it had risen from its ashes stronger and better. And so there's a deep sense of boosterism connected with this story, that while the fire was a tragic event, ultimately it did not stop Chicago.
0: In your uh, press release, you mentioned the Hudland family. I'm not familiar with the Hudland family. Can you give us a quick uh, history of them?
1: Yes, uh... The Hutlands, uh, Anna Elizabeth and Joseph, were African American family that lived uh, just outside of the burn district, and they were noted for their heroism during the fire. Uh, Anna Elizabeth opened up the family home to a group of interracial uh, refugees, and so she was held as the angel of the fire. And her husband Joseph was a porter at the Border Trade, and when he heard about the fire, he ran. To rescue important documents out of the building, which many people credited with allowing the border trade to resume operations quickly after the fire. So both of them were heroes um, and celebrated in the immediate aftermath of the event.
0: I understand that you have a, a large-scale reproduction of what is—is is it called a cyclorama painting, which hasn't been on display since the 1893 World's Fair? It's 50 feet high, 400 feet long, on display at the Chicago History Museum.
1: No. So what we actually have is a one-tenth scale of that. Um, We simply did have a a space um, for that. Um, And so and and it's a study, which is almost like a draft in in art. And so what we discovered this in our collection, um, and it was painted as sort of a guide for the artist who would paint the larger one. So the one we have on display is 40 by uh, four feet, um, and it's, a very visually impressive uh, piece of art that gives you a lot of great detail and has a lot of fascinating information within it about the buyer.
0: Mr. Jones, are you finding that crowds are coming back as we get to hopefully uh, further down the road from this pandemic?
1: Oh, absolutely. We uh, opened already today and we had a steady stream of of visitors much larger than we've had uh, up until this point. So we believe people are excited about um, coming back to the museum, we have safety protocols in place um, to make sure everyone is safe. And, you know, it's definitely a great time to, to come out and, to the museum and, and, and learn this, about this important event in Chicago history.
0: Well, I look forward to visiting as soon as I can. Thanks so much for your time. Julius L. Jones, lead curator, City on Fire, Chicago 1871, opens today at the Chicago History Museum. Thanks for your time.